Hey everybody, I'm Ashley Adamson. Thanks as always for being here. And I'm sitting at my desk looking at my calendar right now and I cannot for the life of me figure out how we are already deep into the month of January. Uh, this is usually my least favorite month of the year. I'm just going to be honest. The holidays are over. Everyone's back at work. A lot of my friends aren't drinking, which good for them. Uh, but January always feels a little bit rough. So Anyways, I hope your New Year's resolutions, if you have them, are still intact. And if they're not, that's okay too. And, and this is the topic that we're going to hit on today. As much as we try to control our lives and have clarity on every single little thing, anybody who is listening to this knows that nothing ever goes according to plan. Uh, so unless you're like a Buddhist monk, which that's awesome. So glad you found this podcast. Uh, but the 99.99% of you who are listening already know that we live in this culture where we are wired to be achievers, to be extraordinary, the best in our field, to always be striving and reaching and going for some big dream. And I'm all for that. Honestly, I wouldn't probably be doing this podcast if I didn't like being a little bit stressed out and having too much on my plate. So I'm here for that. But as a friend told me the other day, and I loved this, she said, you got to lean into your empress energy, your queen energy, but it's also cool to weave in some 13-year-old boy energy every now and then. It just freaking relax. Lay your ass on the couch. Eat some potato chips. Like, leave a mess. Enjoy some bad TV, what, whatever that is. And I just love that image and that duality because I think there's beauty in both of those energies. So it's okay to strive to be extraordinary and it's also just as important to embrace how ordinary we are as well. And there's like a relief that comes when we can ease our grip on life, get out of our own head for like just a minute and just be. So I know that's easier said than done. So to help us understand this push and pull we all experience, so happy to have the one and only Chantal Bailo back this week. She's a badass executive leadership coach in Oakland, mama three. She does it all, and somehow she keeps making time to have these cup-filling conversations with us. And seriously, this is one of my favorites that we've had. So it resonated with me deeply. I hope it resonates with you as well, and that by the end of the episode, you're ready to embrace some side character and main character energy. Because as the great Jess Sims reminds us, you are allowed to be a work in progress and a masterpiece at the same damn time. Enjoy it. So Chantal, where do you fall on New Year's resolutions? Do you make them? I do. Okay. Do I stick to them? <laughs> I, I, I've tried a lot of different versions. You know, I've tried the like straight up resolution of, you know, I'm going to try and read X number of books or do yoga X number of times a week. I've tried the like single word, you know, like what's a word that represents. I've tried like an intention. Um, I'm bought into all of it. I totally believe it's important to like mark the beginning of the year, think about things. Uh, I don't actually know how successful I am because yeah. um, I also don't love being like too caged in or restricted. So I'm like, well, maybe my intentional change. Maybe <laughs> I just like watching TV more than reading books. So I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a model in it. Yeah, I don't know anybody that it, that is a model in it. And I will say, you know, you mentioned kind of the different versions. My friend Yogi Roth, who's a, a colleague and a dear friend of mine, helped me. He introduced me to the the word. You know, you pick yeah. a word or two and that's sort of the theme and what you try to embrace. And 
because this year is about embracing change. My life is about to look very different than it has the last 12 years or so. Um, I think I'm going to go with like adapt or like enjoy the ride or, you know, I don't know, something about embracing change. Yeah. Any any of you wordsmiths have better uh, words that will apply there. But I I do think being open and knowing that like, okay, you're entering liminal space and it's kind of been building now, but you're, my job is coming to an end in June. And like, I'm making some decisions and some thoughts and putting out in the universe some things that I hope happen, but it's going to look very different. And I think that's, it's, it's almost right. Well, and what I'm, yeah, what I'm hearing from you is, you know, there's change coming. There's part of it that you can, um, maneuver and plan for. And there's also a lot that's going to show up, emerge, surprise you. And I'm hearing that you're like, I want to be surprised. And I don't want to be so have the blinders on that actually inhibit you from seeing what it could be that you can't even imagine and being open to other possibilities that aren't even on your radar yet. Isn't that the hardest thread, needle to thread? And I'm sure you see it in, in the work that you do, where you, you know that you need to take action in order to create things that you want to happen, right? Like life is about making things happen, creating action, making decisions and following through on what you say you're going to do, all of that. Yes. And I also think there is, I see people sometimes who push so hard to make that, and like the grip is so tight and it's like, oh, I got to do this. I got to make that oftentimes like the best things really do end up coming to you and you can't force them. And so there's this like push and pull, this yin and yang of letting go, like taking action and, and being, you know, in charge and accountable for what happens in your life, but also being like, Hey, what, what wants to happen here <laughs> and, and yeah. leaving space for it. And I, I think it's hard. I'm trying to myself be in that dual space right now. And I, I wouldn't say that it's, it's easy. It's like a constant recommitment every day to be like, yeah. okay, what are you doing? And also be open to it. Yeah. Well, also layer on, cause I see this a lot. I mean, I certainly see it a lot in myself. I see it a lot with my clients, um, with this, um, what can be, you know, this binary thinking of like, I have to take action. Like that's what successful people do. They like grab life by the horns and they make a plan and then they have milestones and they set goals and OKRs. And like, that's kind of how we orient, especially kind of in this culture that we're in of, you know, kind of like professional success. And when I oftentimes work with clients, right, which is the topic for today is around this binary thinking. It's like, well, what happens if you didn't do anything? What happens if you did let go? What happens? I mean, you know, a a word that makes many people uncomfortable, but that I really love is like, what if you surrender? And, um, and it feels so counterintuitive. And part of it, I even love the really love the language you chose, Ashley, because I think part of what can make it hard for people to hold both is the choice of words we use. Because oftentimes we think of not taking action as giving up. Yeah. Right. Versus letting go or stepping back or something that actually is still intentional and thoughtful. It's not just this like passive disengagement or not caring. Um, And I think sometimes even just like our choice of language can allow us to like be a little bit better friends with the opposite of our inclination. Yeah, I love that. And there's a book called Necessary Endings that I think speaks a lot to that because we do, we think when something ends, it's like, or we, you know, leave a relationship or a friendship or a job or whatever. It's like, it feels like a failure. And it's like, no, it's sometimes, there are things in life that there is, there's necessary endings to yeah, make I mean, even our relationship to 
quitting, you know, this idea mm-hmm. of like, I'm not a quitter. I'm like, actually, I ain't sometimes <laughs> quitting is like the best things at times. Yeah. Right. But we have this like power through, have to achieve, yep. have to accomplish the goal. And I'm like, some of the best decisions in my life have been like, no, I'm actually quitting that because yeah. either I'm not good or I'm not being of service to anyone <laughs> and I'm embarrassing myself, like quit. And having the self-awareness to know that I think is really important versus being just like attached to this. I don't quit. And it's like, but what if you did? And maybe that could be good. I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, are there any, is there an example that comes to mind of you being like, you know what, this is not it. And for the God, I I mean, honestly, there's better examples of when now, I mean, back to our episode on regret that I regret not quitting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a regret. I went to business school. I went to, I did the evening and weekend program. um, And I totally regret that. And then I regret not quitting. Like I I should have done a totally different line of coursework and study, Um, you know, but kind of got caught up in like, this is the degree that is, you know, whatever, you know, it's kind of affirming and credible and yep. legitimate. Um, but it wasn't actually what I was most interested in. It's not what I most cared about. It's not actually like the content that I most wanted to become an expert in. Um, I totally should have quit. Yeah. And I, I don't know, should I have? Who knows? You know, we can't know. But um, but yeah, that's one thing that definitely comes to mind. I, what about- well, it's, it's interesting because my dad used to always um, talk to me about paying attention to what you love, paying attention to what you're good at. And he said, because so often, and this was the example that he always used to tell us, he went to Notre Dame and his parents were, his dad, I think in particular, were were very much of, you are going to be a doctor. Like that was your path. That's what we want for you. That's what you should. And so he thought that that's what he wanted for himself. So he he said that he was taking all these, you know, pre-med courses and he accidentally signed up for a really high level econ class his freshman year. And he said that he loved it and got an A and it was all seniors. And he was like, it was, that should have told me something because I'm struggling like crazy and about yeah. to, you know, fail some happy. of these. Yeah. Some of the, some yeah. of these other courses that I'm taking that are all pre-med. And he's like, I, I just can't believe that that didn't tell me something. Uh, that it didn't wake me up to, hey, you don't have to go do this thing that you these expectations yeah. are. So that was always something that he really talked about and I think has has helped and served me well. But yeah, yeah. I I mean, well, I, I should say, and most people listening know that you and I have done a few coaching engagements. And one of the most poignant questions you asked me more than once or some version of this question when I was working through some stuff, whether it was I don't know if it was like personal and relationships or career decision point, but you would say, can both of those things be true? And that was the perfect question because I think so often our brains want to put things in these boxes and like have it be neat and tidy. Like that's a bad person. That's a good person. This is funny. This is whatever X, Y, or Z, like black and white. And the reality is I think life is gray and there's all these different overlapping things. And so this notion of binary thinking and feeling like, well, I have to know what box to put that in. It's not helpful. And you helped me see that in a really big way of, well, what, like it's back to the version of, is there a different story you could be telling yourself or should be telling yourself? So when you, how often do you identify when people, when you're working with clients that, that so much of where they get stuck is that binary thinking of like, it's this or that, or it needs to be this one thing or that thing? All the time. <laughs> 
I mean, like you said, it's human tendency, right? It's very, like, literally we are wired to, for, we want certainty and we want clarity and we work overtime to find that. And the, the idea of it being both or the idea of it being gray or nuanced is really unsettling to us. And so it's much more comforting, literally just in our bodies, like our nervous system is much happier when I know for sure that that person is good and this person is bad, or that this is the right decision and that's the wrong decision, or that it is good to strive and bad to take my foot off the gas. Like, and, and the idea of sitting with both, I think is a really pretty sophisticated way of operating in the world that many of us are just either ill-equipped or scared or just aren't even aware that that's something that could actually be helpful to us. Yeah. And I think you've talked about this too, of sort of this notion of letting all things be true, right? Like being able to embrace and hold that there's beauty and pain and that, you know, all of the light and darkness, all of those, what seem like opposites are are kind of where the good stuff is at, you know, like that's the way I think about it. Like that's where the magic can be Um, because life is never, you're never, oh, I'm just happy. Like, I think we're chasing this feeling of like, everybody wants to be happy, but like what happiness is just being able to acknowledge like what you have and gratitude and noticing and paying attention to these moments that are beautiful and they're fleeting, right? Like so many of those, I know we've talked about glimmers where it's opposite of a trigger. Like you have this moment where you just, see, you know, whether it's with the, I notice it with my kids a lot of like, Hey, I, I am just loving this exact moment right now in my life and I'm grateful for it. And there's all this other stuff that um, I'm going to have a different experience and a different emotion in five seconds probably, but it's just like paying attention to that and knowing that it's all of them are fleeting. So when you, when you try and help people work through understanding how to let all things be true, like, what do you, What's the biggest hangup or how do you help people kind of break through and understand that? Is it, And then part of it, just naming it. Yeah, it's a good, um, well, part of it, like the story that comes to mind that I'll tell about a client makes me also think about the story you just told about your dad, right? And being at Notre Dame. And oftentimes the, the way that we orient the world or the way that we see things are the things that we have been reinforced or validated for, or the way that we have like earned and received love, right? And mm-hmm. so if I'm under, I, I don't know the complexity of the story about your dad, but it's like, this was the path that his parents had set up for him. And so it was pretty risky for him to switch to econ when it felt like this is, you know, it wasn't explicit. It's not like we won't love you if, but there's this undertone of this is how you receive our approval. And this is how, this is what we want for you. And so that can feel really risky to disrupt that and suddenly see, wait a minute, maybe something else can be true too. Um, And maybe there's a way that I can pursue what I want and still get and receive love from people who are really important to me. Um, So, you know, for example, like a recent client of mine with, um, and we've talked about this on this podcast before too, but I did a 360, which means I gather data and information from, you know, people that my clients direct me to in order to um, solicit feedback so that I can then share that with the client, right? And for some clients, it's just affirming of what they know. And there's some different things that are, you know, kind of helpful for blind spots. And for other clients, it's really surprising or jarring or disorienting or profound. Like there's, of course, in the spirit of all the things, it can be all the things. 
And so this one client in particular, you know, was raised in a household where they debated, like that's how the family communicated. Um, you know, it was a very intellectual, intellectually rigorous home, like, and there was a lot of value put on how much you could kind of argue your case wow. about small and big things. And that's kind of how you fit into the family dynamic. Well, fast forward, you know, you're a professional that has been rewarded for that because you can, you're kind of, you know, your ease with the English language is very evident. You're smart, you're quick, you're concise. And then you're repeatedly rewarded until you get to a point where suddenly it's starting to affect relationships because people want to collaborate. They don't want to debate. And so in his 360 feedback, it became clear that it was starting to affect relationships. Mm. But there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a sense that people could tell him directly because it felt like, is, is it going to be met with debate? And so much of the work that we've been doing so far is about like, what is the beauty in debate? And what is the shadow in it? Mm. And like, what is at risk for you if you actually invite just like listening and collaboration and still keep that debating part of yourself? But how do we just kind of widen the aperture to allow other parts of you and trust that you will still be worthy and appreciated and successful, but that can feel fundamentally a risk for people. Yeah, I, that makes so much sense. How did he receive that feedback, by the way? Like, I, I know we, we've talked about just 360s can be jarring or, with, huh. yeah. Yeah, I think it's really, I, I think it was challenging. Um, and for someone who is really eager, who cares about relationships and people and wants to grow, I think there was like a, a lots of gratitude for it. But I think it's really hard when we do have kind of a binary view of what we think or know works. And then the world starts to tell us, actually, no, it's not as simple as that. Yeah. You can't just operate on kind of one dimension. Actually, relationships and the professional world and personal our personal lives like, require us to be a little bit more nimble and nuanced. And we can kind of, quote unquote, get away with it to a point until it's like, no, you need to be able to debate and collaborate. You need to hold your ground and listen to someone else. Like, And if you don't, you can make that choice, but there probably will be then just increased pain that you feel in some form. Yep. yep. I mean, I, I that's why I think the power of a 360 is so unbelievable because so much of what, how we see ourselves very often is not good and bad, is not yeah. how other people necessarily see us or experience us. <laughs> and so yeah, it's, and, it's- And we don't often, right, there's not often the space to like learn again that feedback. nuance because yeah. it's like being an amazing debater is an incredible asset. Like I'm- I'm not able to do that, right? It's this incredible gift. But so many of these things, when we do them in overdrive or we over-rely on them, they just create pain in some form. And so again, if we can kind of hold both and be a little bit more intentional with what the situation calls for or what's needed of or from us in a relationship or on a team, we just have more choices than available, yeah. but it requires work. Yeah, I amen to that. And I think um, one of the other things that, that you've talked about that I'd love to dive into that's it's right in line with this idea of, of binary thinking and, and trying to let all things be true. But this notion of like, we all want to be extraordinary, right? Like everybody wants to be special, have this specific light that they put out in the world and I'm achieve these things. Like I want to be somebody who is remembered. And 
And I, I think there's also um, something to be said for being ordinary, <laughs> you know, and I, and, and maybe, and that's that word, it, it comes with a lot of, I think, um, you know, oh, I know. baggage. I feel like it's so to so many people, right? Yeah. Like it's like the worst thing you could do would be, would be to be ordinary. Yeah. So how do you see those, that duality and like, how do we define what it is to be extraordinary versus ordinary? Like what, what's your take on kind of that notion? Okay. Let me, I'd love to flip it on you first and then I'm happy to answer, but what for you, let's presume that us and the listeners can understand what could be like awesome about being extraordinary. Um, and I'm sure not everyone feels that way, but that might be more accessible for you. What feels good or meaningful or important about being ordinary? It's such a great question. And I think, um, it's, it like turns the temperature down, you know, when, when it's like, we have this purpose anxiety and we have this desire to do all of these things while we're here in the time that we have. And a lot of it is like, okay, just you're the smallest. Sometimes when I think about this, it really does help me when you think about the like tiny speck of speck of speck of existence that we are in, that we occupy all of these things that feel so big and so heavy and like that kind of dissipates when I'm like, I'm just like less than a half of a, you know, one, one millionth of a fingernail in the grand scheme of things. And so relax and enjoy your life. And show up with love and not this like tight yeah. grip that so so often we we have so to me like thinking about being ordinary is that and it's it's one of the things that well I'll, I'll say kind of two more points on this um we've talked about moving abroad right and how fundamental that was for you in your life and how some of the regret you have is that you know you're not going to yeah. have that experience and your kids aren't going to necessarily have that experience which i still think m- remains to be seen i mean you never know i'm not going to say never for keep that coaching me, Ashley. <laughs> yeah, i'm going to keep putting that out there yeah but i talked to chris a lot my my brother and my sister-in-law went abroad to switzerland for a year last year and we went and visited them twice and we stayed for almost a month in the summer and that experience of being in a foreign country and no one knows who you are or what you're supposed to be doing or where, and no one really cares. And it's just, you get to sort of experience life without all of the expectations that you might carry around on any given day. It was so freeing. And one of the reasons why I I said to Chris, like, I really want to figure out if we can go abroad because Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's allowing yourself to feel, you know, it's, it's reminding yourself that you are a really small piece to this way bigger puzzle. And it is not on you to save everybody, to do all the things, to have a, you know, top five podcast of all time. Like it's, it's not just do the things that you love and show up for the people that you love. And it's, it's as simple as that. So I think to me, that's why this notion of being ordinary is really lovely. And the last thing I'll say is one of my favorite books that I've read on raising kids. um, It's called Blessings of a Skin Knee. And it's this woman who is Jewish and she writes about kind of the Jewish traditions and ideals around parenting and raising kids. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was, is that we all want our kids to be extraordinary, right? We all think our kids are, you know, these perfect, like, oh, they're the best at this, so special. special. And, And they are so special. And also, like, the world needs some ordinary people too. Like, not everyone can be the one point, you know, point oh 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 one percent who's going to cure cancer and, you know, yeah. figure out how to get us to the moon and uh, solve climate change. Like we need people who are just going to show up and be ordinary 
And, yeah. and so that was when I, when I read that, I thought, you know what, cause it takes your pressure off the kids too. Like the, we all put pressure on our kids. I think on, on, we don't mean to, but I think we do. And that at least I do. And I think that when I read that, I was like, you know what, whatever you, whatever you decide you want to be Collins and Cora, like, I just want you. And this is something my dad said to me too, like, go be the best at it. If you want to go drive or, not, a, or just be okay. At or it. just be okay at it. Or, but just care. Like, this is, right, you know what I mean? This is like, actually, yeah. But all you're pointing to is so much of this tricky nuance yeah. that I feel like I like, amen and yes to everything you just said. Like, but, so eloquent. On, you're, so you're so right that I just completely undermined that entire point by what my dad would always say, but be the best. Just be at excellent. It. Yeah, right. Be the best. And again, but this is where it's so tricky because yeah. our, our inclination is to just still gravitate towards one one side or the other. And again, it's not to say that like one side is always bad and never, you know, always be in the space in between. But it's like what you're alluding to is just how hard it is to toe that line. Like, I want to send the signal to my kids. You are so special and you are not special at all. Yeah. Both of those things are true. And that's really hard for an eight-year-old to hold on to. So I'm working on it with her. But like, you know, how to kind of, I love you just as you are. And we're all growing and a work in progress. I love, I don't know if you do any of the Peloton workouts, but I love how Jess Sims always says how like you're a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. And I'm like, that's yes, perfect. I am. Um, you know, but I think that's why it's just, it's so hard to hold both. And even actually, I loved as you were talking about this idea of, you know, extraordinary and ordinary and like the pace of your voice, your body language changed at this relief that can come with being ordinary, something that we oftentimes culturally associate with boring, bad, underachiever, like so many negative connotations. But if we sit with it, it's like, wait, no, there's there's these amazing gifts in being ordinary. And if we embrace how insignificant we are, you know, that there's so much research now on like, that's where you can feel awe and wonder and creativity. And so there is these, there are these gifts kind of on either end of the spectrum but it's just really hard not to get trapped because we want the clarity and certainty that there actually is a right way. Yeah. And there's not. Yeah. I think that's so true. I, there is, um, my brother is Collins, my oldest son, his godfather. And when, for, when he was baptized, he got him this, um, obviously if you're listening yeah. online, you, you can't see it, but I'll explain what I'm holding. It's called a, um, Kintsugi bowl. And I don't know if you've heard about Kintsugi, but it's like this 15th century practice, uh, you know, art that means to join with gold. And so what happened, what, what they will do is they will take, uh, you know, that you do it with everything. I've seen jewelry, I've seen, you know, vases, this is a bowl. They would take something beautiful and they would break it. And then they, you glue it together with gold. And so Kintsugi literally means to join with gold. And it's this reminder that like you are flawed and that is what makes you beautiful. Like all of these missteps of life, all of these things that feel broken are actually, and my brother wrote Collins this amazing letter that I still like get teary eyed thinking about, but it's about like understanding that you are loved and celebrated in all of your flaws and that there is beautiful, you know, the, what is most beautiful is in the brokenness. And then it can be even all those scars that we carry around with us. Like those are the things that make yeah. us real. 
Well, and then to highlight it, my assumption is there's no bowl then that is the same, right? Right. Breaks, Every single one is different. You don't know how it's going to be put back together. And there's also mm-hmm. then like, that's where the beauty comes from is this unique set of experiences, this unique set of losses, regrets, joys, all of it mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's, then that becomes your story. Sorry, this is heavy handed, but <laughs> just to kind of bring it home. That was beautiful. Um, yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, but how to, you know, again, kind of embrace all of that, I do think is what can allow us, it, it's it's counterintuitive, because I think, again, our nervous system is so inclined to say, I want certainty, I want to know what the right way is. But I think actually how we find the most peace is if we can really hold both and accept both. And it's a constant practice. It, it and is, that is true. It's like this recommitment every day, you don't just become something and then, oh, now, now I can do this. It's like every day yeah. you are choosing to how you're going to show up and how you're going to embrace it and think about it. And, you know, the, when you think about like the ordinary moments that really are like, that's the good stuff. Like that's yeah. what, that is the stuff that we should be celebrating. And so often it's weddings or, you know, graduations yeah. or milestone birthdays that, that get the attention and the celebration. And yet these small ordinary moments, these glimmers, as we've talked about, are the thing yeah. that we should be paying attention to and celebrating. And I, I will say, I was talking with Diana, my sister-in-law, when we were having a, like a family Christmas dinner the other night, and she was saying that her favorite pillow that she had, that she was like, I think I gave it away because it was one of those things that just felt like too much clutter, but she had this pillow that said, bless this mess. And she said that there was one, she told a story about her, you know, she's got three kids and that one time, you know, Elise, the oldest said, mom, come down. We want to show you something. And she went downstairs in the basement and they had taken out every single toy. Like it looked like a tornado had hit the basement just full on. And like Diana is so organized. And so she is yeah. like Marie Kondo in many ways. And Elise is just standing there with a giant grin on her face, holding the pillow. <laughs> and I was testing, like, testing, mom, testing your ability to really bless us. Is this mess actually blessed, mom? Um, and it, she said, you know, it was just one of those things of just like a reminder that it's never going to be all perfectly set up and and it, things aren't going to be organized and things aren't going to be exactly how you want them. And that's okay. Like bless the mess. And my version of the bless this mess pillow is I have a sign that I have in our basement call that, and it just says, these are the days. And I have it hung <laughs> over like the placement of it is just as mm-hmm. hilarious as like anything else. But we have this, um, there's like an electrical box in our basement that it, the wires are everywhere. Like I, we tried to have, you know, we tried to put in a work order for, we're like, can we, I, I don't think this is safe. Like this is where the kids play. Like, do, can you cover this up? They were like, no, yeah. we don't have anything to cover. But, so I just hung this picture over that hot mess and you can still kind of see some of the wires sticking out yeah. underneath it. But it is every time I look at it, and there's usually a million toys everywhere and like it's chaos down there. But yeah. I think about, I'm like, these are the days and I am in the good old days right now. Like I know that and I feel it. And it's the reminder to yourself of like, you're not climbing the mountain to get to the top of the mountain. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, this is it. We made it. Like no one ever makes it. Yeah. You just, you got to enjoy so, like yeah. every little thing along the way. So I really appreciate that you bring up this idea of being ordinary and extraordinary because it's, um, it's the thing that I think causes a great anxiety in a lot of people. I think it really does. And I mean, I know for myself, I'm imagining you feel that too. We live in a striving culture and how we measure success. And I think it does. I think it takes a lot to actually see 
ordinary, insignificant, not special as actually really amazing things that can provide us with relief and freedom and um, and calm and a whole bunch of other good things that we can't foresee. And simultaneously, being excellent and exceptional feels really good and being extraordinary is lovely. But for that to be the sole measure of success, I think can be like very self-defeating. Yep. I, I'll never one quick story and then we'll we'll bring in Betsy. But I I think um, back all the time too. There was a a feature I did on a soccer player at Washington, who was born and raised at a refugee camp like in Africa, and grew up you know. And he talked about just we didn't even know when our next meal was going to come. We'd go days without eating. Like, it, and as he's telling me though, I'm we're driving around after we do the shoot with him, and I said, so what have you? What's your do you like living in America? Like, obviously you've gotten this opportunity and your life seems amazing. And now he plays professionally, but he said, you know, yeah. I, I will just say like the biggest thing I've learned is that you all are addicted to stress. You love to be stressed. He said, I had never felt stressed until I moved yeah. to America. And he said, I just, all of a sudden, because everyone around me is so stressed. He said, wow. I, I never felt stressed when I was a kid. And you look at my circumstance and you would think that that's the most stressful thing of all time. He goes, I don't ever remember feeling stress. It was just was what it was. And everyone just kind of showed up and did their thing and you made it through as best you could. And he goes, and now that I'm here, it's like everyone's stressed about this test and everyone's stressed about this and that. And he's like, it is like a culture. And it was, I think he's spot on. Like, I think we celebrate and in, in, in some yeah. sick way, how stressed each of us are and how busy totally. all of us are. Yeah. Well, and again, I feel like, you know, a lot of um, work with my clients, it tends to center around like it matters, it doesn't matter, or like take it seriously, hold it lightly, you know? And it's like a lot of this stuff, like we we put so much weight, it matters, it matters, it matters, you know, yeah. as a as a coach, I take it very seriously. Like every session, there needs to be something meaningful and how are we getting to the root of what's going on and what's going to be the most meaningful homework as a parent. And this is my only moment. And how to actually hold, like, it doesn't matter. Like, there's other opportunities. Life goes on. No one's dying in the process. Um, but that is counterintuitive to a culture that is focused on be stressed, be productive, get the, you know, kind of be constantly striving. Yep. Yep. Have it all look and sound perfect. And you got to keep going and all the rest, no matter what. Yeah. All right. Betsy Bloom. Hello. I are well, you're extraordinary. So I don't know if you have anything to add to, to this conversation. Yeah, none of this really resonated. Oh, <laughs> uh, you have no idea what we're talking about. But in teaching, I imagine that you see this though as a teacher, like that you see this very thing show up in your students a lot. Totally. It's, I mean, it's the idea of like perfect is the opposite of good. And speaking of teaching, um, my husband is a middle school or was a middle school teacher. And he actually introduced this concept to his middle schoolers that I still try to use today, the combat binary thinking, where he would ask them to replace but with and. Uh, you might say like, well, I took the trash out today, but you know, you forgot to take it out last week. I took the trash out today and you forgot to take it out last week. Like it doesn't need to be, everything doesn't need to be a one or the other. Like there can be an and there. And it's really helpful. Really it helpful. is so helpful. I I read something similar to that. If you just replace but and and, just how different it all feels, right? Even to the person that you're talking to, or even to yourself in your own mind. So yeah, yeah that's a great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, okay, do you anything else that Chantal said that that resonated? I mean, I know probably all of it, but yes. So first, I have to say that. I left to go grab this bowl. Oh, yes. 
I love that. Wait, I need to get one. What are what are they called again? So Kitsugi, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So this was a wedding present from one of my dear friends, Claudia. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think she has to also be my moment of gratitude. Yes, so I love that. It sits near my desk and it's a reminder to embrace the bullet band thinking and the beauty and the imperfection. Um, but I also wanted to say that something that resonated with me was this idea of like who gets to define what extraordinary means. And I don't know the people who we think of as extraordinary, are they extraordinary in every single way? There's no one that's impossible. So, you know, this person that you've put on a pedestal might not be a very great parent because they're so good at their job or this person that is producing all of this social media content that's making you think that their life is perfect. What's happening behind that? And so it's futile to think of anyone as being fully extraordinary. It's just what area are they extraordinary and what area are they I love that. And I think that's the, that is the key to when you, I think about in raising children, it's like figure out what part of you is extraordinary and what your special sauce is because everybody has it, right? Everybody has mm -hmm. something that is uniquely wonderful about them. Um, many people have multiple things. So figure out what that is and and, and go shine that light in whatever version that you can on everybody else and on the world. And also, I mean, Chantal, what you said about your eight-year-old daughter is like, you are so special and you are not special at all. Like, I think that's an important thing to make sure that our kids understand. Like you are part of such a, you are a small part of such a bigger yeah. picture. And if you can zoom well, out. Yeah. And you are, you are, you actually need to be a contributor and sometimes you don't matter as much yeah. <laughs> and you're not that important yeah. and other people need to be seen as more important than you and need to know that yeah. they matter more. Yep. What does so it mean well to be exceptional? It means that you are the exception and that's actually a problem to always think of yourself as the exception. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Amen. Oh, so yourself. good. Okay, so your moment of gratitude is for was it Claudia who gave you that? Yeah, Claudia. Who, yep. Okay, shout out Claudia. That's, a, that's that is a great. I've never thought about it as a wedding present, but it's it's that's perfect. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. K I N T S U G I. Uh, for those of you who want to go find out about it, I think it's it's one of the most beautiful things ever, and oh, they do it. a lot of different cool things. Yeah, and you can get you can get glasses. I got for my friend. I got her like a pair of toasting glasses that are kintsugi art and it's mm -hmm. they're cool. Um, right. Okay. So yeah. Do you want to, you've got a moment of gratitude, somebody, maybe it's something or somebody that's like something that's ordinary. That's often overlooked. Yeah. Uh, Chantal. Well, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit and, and, and also just kind of tie in this both and a little bit. So I, um, not too long ago, my mom is in not great health. Not too long ago, my sisters and I, I were visiting her at a rehab facility where she was, you know, recovering from some physical challenges. And um, Thursday afternoons, um, a 91-year-old piano player comes to the rec room and um, plays just from memory a whole bunch of show tunes on the piano. And so my sisters and I, we all grew up on musicals. I have a terrible voice, but I am a complete sucker for any musical. So we, you know, wheel my mom into the rec room and, um, and the rehab facility is the, the staff are amazing and it's pretty depressing. You know, it's just sort of a sad, it's like a, a reminder of declining health and mortality and all the things. 
And so we're in this room with a number of other patients. Me and my sisters are pretty much kind of the only visitors. And I mean, the 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 volume with which we sang Doe a Deer um, when he played Sound of Music and then went on. I mean, don't get me started about West Side Story. <laughs> and my mom, who is having a number of cognitive challenges, is able to recollect all the lyrics. And it's this like sad, heart-wrenching, and just like delightful, bonding, awesome moment. And I'm mesmerized by what 91-year-old by memory knows like every musical on the planet and is um, delighted to be there. So for me, it was this recent really poignant moment of like, all these things can be true at the same time, that it there can be grief and there can be joy, there can be nostalgia, and there can be like being together in the moment um, and it was, I think, a really imprinting experience for all of us that was super ordinary and super extraordinary at the same time. So I'm grateful to that piano player. I just have chills. And I wish I had gone first because that was that we should just end with that. Like, I should just save whatever I was going to say for our next moment. No way. You, but the that more was, ordinary, the better. Ashley that Brown. was, that was beautiful. I love it. Um, I, I feel like the thing that I find myself... Uh, being grateful for and it's not one person in particular but it's all of these small roles and i say small in our in my life it doesn't feel like a major role so i'm thinking about our mailman who's delightful and is always so kind and smiling and i just see him out there working his butt off in rain or sun or whatever and like the woman who at the checkout line at the grocery store who is just delightful and so kind and it's like those people who come into your world for a moment, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, whatever it may be. And, and just like seeing them for who they are and acknowledging probably what they have going on behind the scenes. And just, there was something I read once that has really stuck with me um, about if you could, you know, and, I, and I'm religious, I'm Catholic, but it's like this notion of if you could wake up every day and think like, God, who do you have for me today? And know that everyone in your path is for you and you are for them in whatever mini moment that may be, just how differently you would kind of show up and, and treat people. Um, and so that's, I am grateful for all of these people who make my world go around, who are, you know, so often kind of overlooked and taken for granted, and I think are um, deserve to be celebrated and acknowledged and like thinking like, man, if I actually took the time to think about all the things that people were doing to make my world what it is, like I I wouldn't be able to do anything other than just sit down and write thank you notes for the rest of my life because it's oh my like, God. I love yeah. I love that. I mean for so, me actually when I listen to you it feels like it's like making the visible invisible and there's so so many mechanisms mm -hmm. around us. And it's also honoring like your insignificance. You're like, oh I think I'm like so important doing things and you're like I'm enabled by all these people around me and I am both significant and insignificant. And I think if we can hold that tension, it does breed a lot of awareness and gratitude and connection that we're all craving. Perfectly said. Oh, all right. Well, on that note. Character, not yeah. main character energy in 2024, side character energy. Side character energy. I love that. Oh supporting supporting actress energy. Oh my God. Thank you for that. Because the amount of times the, my mo the most recent like put down in my family among my children is like, you're not the main character. I'm like, oh, God. so I will now be like, thank you. You're right. 
I'm the understudy and I pride myself. <laughs> you're not the ma- That's kind of amazing. I think then what you're doing is right. Whatever you're doing, Chantal, is that you're putting oh that. You're not know. the main character. It's like, it's manifesting in very hurtful ways. Side but character energy. Anyway, being the main and the side character. Hell yeah. Uh, holding both to be true. Let it all be true. Yeah. Oh, I love you both so much. I am eternally grateful for the two of you and the space that this podcast gives us. Um, and we'll we'll do it again soon. But happy new year. And here's to more main character and side character and supporting character yeah. energy in 2024. Yes. Here's to an ensemble cast. Ashley, thank you. Happy New Year. And happy new just year. grateful to be with you all. See you soon. <laughs>